When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Political Philosophy of Terror, a speech by Paris Deputy of the National Convention, Maximilien Robespierre, delivered to the convention on the 5th of February, 1794. Read by Mickey Mouse. Citizen representatives of the people, some time ago, we set forth the principles of our foreign policy. Today, we come to expound the principles of our internal policy, (laughs) ha-ha! After having proceeded haphazardly for a long time, swept along by the movement of opposing factions, the representatives of the French people have finally demonstrated a character and a government. A sudden change in the nation's fortune announced to Europe the regeneration that had been effected in the national representation. But up to the very moment when I am speaking, it must be agreed that we have been guided amid such stormy circumstances, by the love of good and by the awareness of our country's needs, rather than by an exact theory and by precise rules of conduct, which we did not have even leisure enough to lay out. It is time to mark clearly the goal of the revolution, (laughs) and the end we want to reach. It is time for us to take account both of the obstacles that still keep us from it and of the means we ought to adopt to attain it, a simple and important idea which seems never to have been noticed. For ourselves, we come today to make the world privy to your political secrets, so that all our country's friends can rally to the voice of reason and the public interest, so that the French nation and its representatives will be respected in all the countries of the world where the knowledge of their real principles can penetrate so that the intriguers, who seek always to replace other intriguers, will be judged by sure and easy rules. We must take far-sighted precautions to return the destiny of liberty into the hands of truth, which is eternal, rather than into those of men who are transitory, so that if the government forgets the interest of the people, or if it lapses into the hands of the corrupt individuals, according to the natural course of things, The light of recognized principles will illuminate their treachery, and so that every new faction will discover death in the mere thought of crime. (laughs) Ha ha! What is the goal toward which we are heading? The peaceful enjoyment of liberty and equality. The reign of that eternal justice whose laws have been inscribed, not in marble and stone, but in the hearts of all men even in that of the slave who forgets them and in that of the tyrant who denies them, ha! We seek an order of things in which all the base and cruel passions are enchained, all the beneficent and generous passions are awakened by the laws, where ambition becomes the desire to merit glory and to serve our country, 
where distinctions are born only of equality itself, where the citizen is subject to the magistrate, the magistrate to the people, and the people to justice, where our country assures the well-being of each individual, and where each individual proudly enjoys our country's prosperity and glory where every soul grows greater through the continual flow of Republican sentiments and by the need of deserving the esteem of a great people, where the arts are the adornments of the liberty which ennobles them and commerce the source of public wealth rather than solely the monstrous opulence of a few families. (laughs) In our land, we want to substitute morality for egotism, integrity, for moral codes of honor, principles for customs, a sense of duty for one of mere propriety, the rule of reason for the tyranny of fashion, scorn of vice of scorn of the unlucky, self-respect for insolence, grandeur of soul over vanity, love of glory for the love of money, good people in place of good society. We wish to substitute merit for intrigue, genius for wit, truth for clamor, the charm of happiness for sensuous boredom, the greatness of man for the pettiness of the great, a people who are magnanimous, powerful, and happy, in place of a kindly, frivolous, and miserable people, which is to say all the virtues and all the miracles of the republic, in place of all the vices and the absurdities of the monarchy. We want, in a word, to fulfill nature's desires, to accomplish the destiny of humanity, keep the promises of philosophy, absolve providence from the long reign of crime and tyranny. Let France, formerly illustrious among the enslaved nations, eclipsing the glory of all the free peoples who have existed, become the model for the nations, the terror of oppressors, the consolation of the oppressed, the ornament of the world, and let us, in sealing our work with our blood, see at least the early dawn of the universal bliss. That is our ambition, that is our goal. (laughs) What kind of government can realize these wonders? Only a democratic or republican government. These two words are synonyms, despite the abuses in common speech, because an aristocracy is no closer than a monarchy to being a republic. Democracy is a state in which the sovereign people, guided by laws which are of their own making, do for themselves all that they can do well, and by their delegates do all that they cannot do for themselves. Now what is the fundamental principle of popular or democratic government, that is to say, the essential mainspring which sustains it and makes it move? It is virtue. I speak of the public virtue which worked so many wonders in Greece and Rome and which ought to produce even more astonishing things in Republican France, that virtue which is nothing other than the love of the nation and its law. But as the essence of the republic or of democracy is equality, it follows that love of country necessarily embraces the love of equality. But the French are the first people of the world who have established real democracy by calling all men to equality and full rights of citizenship. And there, in my judgment, is the true reason why all the tyrants in league against the Republic will be vanquished. Ha <laughs> ha! There are important consequences to be drawn immediately from the principles we have just explained. 
Since the soul of the Republic is virtue, equality, and since your goal is to found, to consolidate the Republic, it follows that the first rule of your political conduct ought to be to relate all your efforts to maintaining equality and developing virtue, because the first care of the legislator ought to be to fortify the principle of the government. Thus, everything that tends to excite love of country, to purify morals, to elevate souls, to direct the passions of the human heart toward the public interest, ought to be adopted or established by you. Everything which tends to concentrate them in the objection of selfishness, to awaken enjoyment for petty things, and scorn for great ones, ought to be rejected or curbed by you. Within the scheme of the French Revolution, that which is immoral is impolitic. That which is corrupting is counter-revolutionary. Weakness, vice, and prejudices are the road to royalty. We deduce from all this a great truth, that the characteristic of popular government is to be trustful towards the people and severe towards itself. Here the development of our theory would reach its limit if you had only to steer the ship of the Republic through calm waters. But the tempest rages and the state of the revolution in which you find yourselves imposes upon you another task. We must smother the internal and external enemies of the Republic, or perish with them. Now in this situation, the first maxim of your policy ought to be to lead the people by reason, and the people's enemies by terror. Ha <laughs> ha! If the mainspring of popular government in peacetime is virtue, amid revolution, it is at the same time both virtue and terror. Virtue without which terror is fatal. Terror without which virtue is impotent. Terror is nothing but prompt, severe, inflexible justice. It is therefore an emanation of virtue. It is less a special principle than a consequence of the general principle of democracy applied to our country's most pressing needs. It has been said that terror was the mainspring of despotic government. Does your government, then, resemble a despotism? Yes. As the sword which glitters in the hands of liberty's heroes resembles the one with which tyranny's lackeys are armed, let the despot govern his brutalized subjects by terror. He is right to do this, as a despot. Subdue liberty's enemies by terror, and you will be right, as founders of the Republic. The government of the Revolution is the despotism of liberty against tyranny. Is force made only to protect crime? And is it not to strike the heads of the proud that lightning is destined? To punish the oppressors of humanity is clemency. To pardon them is barbarity. The rigor of tyrants has only rigor for a principle. The rigor of the Republican government comes from charity. Therefore, woe to those who would dare to turn against the people the terror which ought to be felt only by its enemies. Ha <laughs> ha! Woe to those who, confusing the inevitable errors of civic conduct with the calculated errors of perfidy or with conspirators' criminal attempts, Leave the dangerous schemer to pursue the peaceful citizen. Perish the scoundrel who ventures to abuse the sacred name of liberty or the redoubtable arms which liberty has entrusted to him in order to bring mourning or death into patriots' hearts. This abuse has existed, one cannot doubt it. It has been exaggerated, no doubt, by the aristocracy. But if in all the republic 
there existed only one virtuous man persecuted by the enemies of liberty, the government's duty would be to seek him out vigorously and give him a dazzling revenge. How frivolous it would be to regard a few victories achieved by patriotism as the end of all our dangers. Glance over our true situation. You will become aware that vigilance and energy are more necessary for you than ever. An unresponding ill-will everywhere opposes the operations of the government. The inevitable influence of foreign courts is no less active for being more hidden and no less baneful. One senses that crime, frightened, has only covered its tracks with greater skill. You could never have imagined some of the excesses committed by hypocritical counter-revolutionaries in order to blight the cause of the revolution. Would you believe that in the regions where superstition has held the greatest sway, the counter-revolutionaries are not content with burdening religious observances under all the forms that could render them odious, but have spread terror among the people by sowing the rumor that all children under ten and all old men over seventy are going to be killed? This rumor was spread particularly through the former province of Brittany and in the departments of the Rhine and the Moselle. It is one of the crimes imputed to Schneider, the former public prosecutor of the criminal court of Strasbourg. That man's tyrannical follies make everything that has been said of Caligula and Elagabalus credible. One can scarcely believe it, despite the evidence. He pushed his delirium to the point of commandeering women for his own use. We are told that he even employed that method in selecting a wife. Whence came this sudden swarm of foreigners, priests, nobles, intriguers of all kinds, which at the same instant spread over the length and breadth of the Republic, seeking to execute in the name of philosophy a plan of counter-revolution which has only been stopped by the force of public reason? Exacerable conception, worthy of the genius of foreign courts leagued against liberty and of the corruption of all the internal enemies of the Republic. In deceitful hands, all the remedies for our ills turn into poisons. Everything you can do, everything you can say, they will turn against you, even the truths which we come here to present this very day. Such an internal situation ought to seem to you worthy of all your attention, above all if you reflect that at the same time you have the tyrants of Europe to combat, a million and two hundred thousand men under arms to maintain, and that the government is obliged continually to repair with energy and vigilance all the injuries which the innumerable multitude of our enemies has prepared for us during the course of five years. What is the remedy of all these evils? We know no other than the development of that general motive force of the Republic, virtue. Democracy perishes by two kinds of excesses, either the aristocracy of those who govern, or else the popular scorn for the authorities whom the people themselves have established. Scorn which makes each clique, each individual, take unto himself the public power and bring the people through excessive disorders to annihilation or to the power of one man. The double task of the moderates and the false revolutionaries is to toss us back and forth perpetually between these two perils. But the people's representatives can avoid them both, because government is always the master at being just and wise, and when it has that character, it is sure of the confidence of the people. It is indeed true that the goal of all our enemies is to dissolve the convention. 
It is true that the tyrant of Great Britain and his allies promised their parliament and subjects that they will deprive you of your energy and of the public confidence which you have merited. That is the first instruction for all their agents. We are beginning a solemn debate upon all the objects of its anxiety and everything that can influence the progress of the revolution. We adjure it not to permit any particular hidden interest to usurp ascendancy here over the general will of the assembly at the indestructible power of reason. Ha <laughs> ha! As always, donations keep the podcast going. So if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.